Section 5 of G. K. Chesterton in America, a Catholic Review of the Week. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Greg Giordano. G. K. Chesterton in America. A Catholic Review of the Week by G. K. Chesterton The Mummers One night, about five years ago, I heard a burst of musical voices so close that they might as well have been inside the house instead of outside. So I asked the singers inside, hoping that they might then seem farther away. Then I realized that they were the Christmas Mummers, who come every year in country parts to enact the rather rigid fragments of the old Christmas play of St. George, the Turkish Knight, and the very venal doctor. I will not describe it. It is indescribable, but I will describe my parallel as it passed. One could see something of that half-failure that haunts our artistic revivals of medieval dances, carols, or Bethlehem plays. There are elements in all that has come to us from the more morally simple society of the Middle Ages, elements which moderns, even when they are medievalists, find hard to understand and even harder to imitate. The first is the primary idea of mummery itself. If you will observe a child just able to walk, you will see that his first idea is not to dress up as anybody, but to dress up. Afterwards, of course, the idea of being the king or Uncle William will leap into his mind. But it is generally suggested by the hat that he has already let fall over his nose from far deeper motives. Tommy does not assume the hat primarily because it is Uncle William's hat, but because it is not Tommy's hat. It is a ritual investiture, and is akin to those gorgon masks that stiffened the dances of Greece, or those towering mitres that came from the mysteries of Persia. For the essence of such ritual is a profound paradox, the concealment of the personality combined with the exaggeration of the person. The man performing a rite seeks to be at once invisible and conspicuous. It is a part of that divine madness which all other creatures wonder at in man, that he alone parades this pomp of obliteration and anonymity. Man is not, perhaps, the only creature who disguises himself. Beasts and birds may perhaps take the colors of their environment. That is not in order to be watched, but in order not to be watched. It is not the formalism of rejoicing, but the formlessness of fear is not so with men whose nature is the unnatural ancient britons did not stain themselves blue because they lived in blue forests nor did georgian bow and bells powder their hair to match an arctic landscape the britons were not dressing up as kingfishers nor the bow pretending to be polar bears nay some naturalists believe that modern ladies paint their faces a bright mauve with the idea 
of escaping notice. So merrymakers, or mummers, adopt their costumes to heighten and exaggerate their own bodily presence and identity, not to sink it, primarily speaking, in another identity. It is not acting, that comparatively low profession, comparatively, I mean, it is mummery, and as that ardent anti-ritualist Mr. Kensett would have said, all elaborate religious ritual is mummery. That is, it is a noble conception of making man something other and more than himself, when he stands at the limit of human things. It is only careful faddists and feeble philosophers who want to wear no clothes, and be natural in their revels. Natural men, really vigorous and exultant men, want to wear more and more clothes when they are reveling. They want worlds of waistcoats and forests of trousers and pagodas of top hats toppling up to the stars. Thus it is with the lingering mummers. If our more refined revivers of miracle plays, or Maurice dances, try to reconstruct the old mummer's play of St. George and the Turkish Knight, I do not see why they do not. They would think at once of picturesque and appropriate dresses. St. George's panoply would be pictured from the best books of armor and blazonry. The Turkish knight's arms and ornaments would be traced from the finest Saracenic arabesques. When my garden door opened on that Christmas Eve, and St. George of Cappadocia and England entered, the appearance of that champion was slightly different. His face was energetically blacked all over with soot, above which he wore an aged and very tall top hat. He wore his shirt outside his coat like a surplice, and he flourished a thick umbrella. Now do not, do not begin to talk the genteel modern drivel about ignorance, or suppose that the mummer in question, who was a very pleasant rat-catcher with a tenor voice, or suppose, I say, that my friend the mummer dressed like this because he knew no better. Do not be yourself so deplorably ignorant as not to realize that even a rat-catcher knows St. George of England was not black, and did not kill the dragon with an umbrella. The rat-catcher is not under this delusion, any more than Paul Veronese thought that very good men have luminous rings round their heads, any more than the Pope thinks that Christ washed the feet of the twelve in a cathedral, any more than the Duke of Norfolk thinks the lions on a tabard are like the lions at the zoo. These things are denaturized because they are symbols, because the extraordinary occasion must hide or even disfigure the ordinary people. Black faces were to medieval mummeries what carved masks were to Greek plays. It was called being vizarded. My rat-catcher is not sufficiently arrogant to suppose for a moment that he looks like St. George, but he is sufficiently humble to be convinced that, if he looks so little like himself as he can, he will be on the right road. This is the soul of mumming, the ostentatious secrecy of men in disguise. There are, of course, other medieval elements in it, which are also difficult to explain to the fastidious medievalists of today. There is, for instance, a certain output of violence into the void. It can best be described as a raging thirst to knock men down 
without the faintest desire to hurt them. All the rhymes with the old ring have the trick of turning on everything in which the rhymesters most sincerely believed, merely for the pleasure of blowing off steam in startling yet careless phrases. When Tennyson says that King Arthur drew all the petty princedoms round him and made a realm and ruled, his grave royalism is quite modern. Many medievals outside the medieval republics believed in monarchy as solemnly as Tennyson. But that older verse, when good King Arthur ruled this land, he was a goodly king. He stole three pecks of barley meal to make a bag pudding. Is far more Arthurian than anything in the idols of the king. There are other elements, especially the sacred thing that can, perhaps, be called anachronism. All that to us is anachronism was to medievals merely eternity. But the main excellence of the mumming play lies still, I think, in its uproarious secrecy. If we cannot hide our hearts in healthy darkness, at least we can hide our faces in healthy darkness. If we cannot escape like a philosopher into the forest, at least you can carry the forest with you like a jack-in-the-green. It is well to walk under universal ensigns, and there is an old tale of a tyrant to whom a walking forest was the witness of doom. That, indeed, is the very intensity of the notion. A masked man is ominous, but who shall face a mob of masks? G. K. Chesterton End of Section 5 Read by Greg Giordano Newport Ritchie, Florida